Sprite Castle. Sprite Castle. Sprite Castle. With Rabo Hair. Sprite Castle. Hello and welcome to Sprite Castle, the show in which we play, discuss, and review Commodore 64 games. My name is Rob Flack O'Hara, or maybe I should say, oh yeah, my name is Rob. <laughs> On this episode of Sprite Castle, we will be discussing Micro League Wrestling. Do you know what the first officially licensed WWF wrestling game was? Listen to this episode to find out the answer to this trivia question. Before we get started with this episode's game, let's check the Daily Sun for this week's Paperboy headlines. Well, first of all, I hope everybody has been having a good Commodore 64 month. I know I have been playing some Commodore 64 games, probably more than I normally play. You know, the uh, 64 is like an old friend. It sits there on the desk, and when I have something to, to do, when I remember, when I go back to it, it's always there waiting for me. But uh, it doesn't get the daily love that it probably should. You know, sometimes we take those friends for granted. So, uh you know, with it being Commodore 64 month, I have been uh, trying to get a little bit more game time in. I saw a tweet uh, from someone named Tom. Uh, this is uh, someone that showed up on my uh, uh, Twitter feed. He, he said something I liked or I said something he liked or something. We we're just following each other. Uh, and he mentioned on Twitter that he had recently purchased a Commodore 64 and a real 1541 disk drive but didn't have any disks for it. And you know what? It's Commodore 64 month. And uh, Commodore 64 users help each other out. So I uh, sent Tom a message. I got his mailing address. Well, first I asked. I wanted to make sure he was in the, the U.S. because I didn't want this to cost me a fortune. <laughs> but uh, turns out he was in the U.S. And so um, I used my um, – well, oh, a Zoom floppy. That's what I used. I have a Zoom floppy. And uh, made converted some D64 disk images full of games over to real physical disks. And uh, mailed those out to Tom. And, and actually, when I offered to do that, he said he wanted to pick up a copy of Commodore as well. So it uh, worked out good for me and good for Tom. And uh, uh, anyway, sent him off some discs. He said they worked, and uh, he was able to test his, his drive out. So it was fun for me just to randomly see somebody out there that was looking for some uh, Commodore discs to test their system out on. And uh, so I enjoyed mailing those out to him, and, and I just thought that was a good thing to do for Commodore 64 month. Uh, I got an email. God, I got this email probably a month ago, and, I, and I've been meaning to mention this on the air. Um, but uh, it came in from Sergeant Dave, uh, who says he likes the podcast, and he's just back getting into the Commodore 64, and he's looking for a good joystick. He says back in the 80s, he had a command control red ball and loved it. And he can't imagine using anything else, but he's having trouble finding one in good shape without breaking the bank. Uh, so he wanted to know what my favorite joysticks were and if there's a good online source for classic controllers. So uh, if you have a favorite joystick that you used on the Commodore 64, I'd love to hear about it. Uh, just drop me an email or any of the normal places on Facebook or Twitter or anything like that. Uh, I have always, of course, when I, I think everybody started with Atari joysticks. That's what I started with when I first got my Commodore 64. I just plugged an Atari joystick in. Um, I... Got a craft joystick. Um, it was about the same color uh, of uh, tan or beige as the Commodore 64 itself was, and it had a four and eight way switch on the bottom. Actually, it was a little disc that rotated 
where you could make the joystick four-way or eight-way. So that was what I did most of my gaming on. And then my buddy, Jeff, had uh, the infamous Epix joysticks, the 500XJs, uh, and he swore by those. So pretty much the Craft or the Epix is what I used. And um, several years ago, I was on a forum somewhere, and I found somebody that was selling uh, four of each of those joysticks, four Craft joysticks and four Epix joysticks, still new in the box. And uh, so I bought all of them. <laughs> and uh, I think I still have a couple still in the box out in the garage, but I, I use those. And uh, it, there's no feeling like a brand new joystick, you know, that you're actually breaking in. I mean, of course, when you get them at first, they're all stiffed, and, uh, clicky, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, and they uh, break in over time. So, And I've enjoyed breaking them in, playing uh, lots of games. So uh, if you have a, uh, a good place where you buy joysticks or you have a favorite joystick that you want to tell people about, um, send me an email. And uh, we'll talk about it a little bit on the next episode. For the news section, my goodness, there are so many. I mean, it's only been two weeks since I did an episode, and so many new games were released. Um, so I'm just going to name a few of them. Uh, the first that I just saw, and I just saw this news article this morning, was uh, Heroes and Cowards. It's called The Pentagram of Power. It is a new uh, adventure game from the Commodore 64. It was created by Sebastian Broghammer and Steve Cups, or maybe that's Coops. I think it's Cups. Uh, and distributed by Protovision. It's a point-and-click adventure game, and it is available in either a coward uh, box set or a hero one. And uh, I found the pricing it was uh, 35 pounds and 55 pounds, so I guess that would be a little bit higher uh, in U.S. And I don't know if this is PAL only or not. I, I just saw this, but um, I definitely want to check this out. Uh, the, the graphics I just saw in the screenshots look really good. Uh, and then we have uh, my man Vinny uh, with his crazy hacks that he is always releasing uh, through Hackersoft. You also may know Vinny from uh, C64 Endings, and, and uh, you may recall that Hackersoft has teamed up with uh, Commodore is Awesome, which is another great website, and uh, for releasing his uh, crazy hacks. And over the last uh, two or three weeks, he has released um, crazy hacks for Fairy Well. Uh, which is a uh, side-scrolling, uh, kind of a platform-type game where you're a fairy. Uh, there's a fairy will with uh, 31 new hacks. Uh, he re uh, released Motocross Simulator with 19 new hacks. Uh, Motocross Simulator is kind of like, oh, kickstart, I guess, in a way, where you're a side-scrolling motorcycle, and then there's kind of an up-and-down scrolling part. Uh, he released Bubble Dizzy with 25 new hacks. That's a great platform game. Uh, and Tiger Claw with 29 hacks. So you can find all of these uh, on Commodore's awesome website. I will have links to these in the show notes if you want to download these. And uh, earlier this week, I found out on Twitter that Vinny has the same birthday that I have, which was August 22nd. So over the weekend was both Vinny's happy birthday and my happy birthday. So happy birthday to Vinny and happy birthday to me. I did not get any Commodore 64 stuff. Actually, I got a lot of Star Wars stuff. <laughs> uh, but that's good either way. Uh, I also saw uh, Megatron was released uh, not too long ago. Megatron is a updated version of the Tron Light Cycle type game. Uh, Flimbo's Quest is a new game that came out, which is a little platform game uh, with uh, really kind of detailed graphics. That looks pretty good. Uh, Edge of Time came out, uh, I believe, last week, and it is a, a sideways scrolling. It's made with the shoot 'em up construction kit. 
Uh, and the, the uh, unique thing about this is that the screen is divided the top half and the bottom half, and you have a ship uh, or that you're controlling on at the same time. You're controlling both of them at the same time. And so it's, uh, uh, it's really kind of difficult to get the hang of, but I really do like it. Uh, and then I saw um, Soldier of Fortune uh, was just released with uh, – I guess I think this is an updated version of uh, Soldier of Fortune for the C64. But, man, what a great time. Again, I say this all the time. What a great time to be uh, Commodore 64 fans. You know, I mean, uh, you, you, there's all these retro computers and retro things where people sit around and they talk about the good old days. But the good old days on the Commodore 64 are still happening. Great games are still being released. There's a great community out there and uh, lots of neat stuff. So, uh, again, I will have links to all these games in the show notes. And uh, other than the uh, Heroes and Cowards, all these other games are are free to download. I don't think that one has been released yet uh, for free. I think it's uh, a commercial purchase only. Uh, another news headline I saw this week was um, the Commodore phone. Now, if you're a Commodore fan, you've probably had 100 people post this on your Facebook page or send you this email or or you've seen it on Twitter that uh, there's an, a new Android phone and it's has the Commodore logo on it. People are very excited about it. Uh, but it turns out the people that were making that phone did not have the uh, copyright to the Commodore logo. It wasn't the actual holders of the Commodore copyright. And so Commodore uh, has uh, challenged them. And so I believe that uh, project has stalled out for the time being until uh, they, they make some arrangements. Maybe they will make an arrangement to uh, uh, license the Commodore logo for that. But the uh, Commodore phone that everybody was passing around links to uh, looks like that project has stalled out. And another project that I saw uh, that stalled out was the uh, uh, Amiga 1200 cases that was on Kickstarter. I think they were trying to get $125,000. That seems like an amazing amount of money. I don't know anything about uh, coming up with custom molds and stuff. Um, and I'm sure it's a very expensive project. Uh, and I know that that project came on the heels of the Commodore 64 uh, the C64C cases, which I ordered um, all five uh, colors that that were available. And the uh, Amiga 1200 one it looked like an interesting thing. I did not uh, kickstart it, but um, I was kind of watching that. But it uh, apparently it did not uh, meet its goal. So maybe they will uh, regroup and try again. Let's get on to uh, this episode's King of the Castle. Now the king of the castle for this episode, I had to go a little bit easier, you know, for the, uh, uh, the 720 episode, I went with, uh, possessed escape by suicidal tendencies, which is a fairly obscure, um, uh, song, you know, to use. So anyway, I went with something a little bit more mainstream for mail order monsters, but I might've gone too uh, mainstream because, uh, this episode's king of the castle is Tori Waddingham. And Tori was able to correctly guess that the song was Edgar Winter's Frankenstein, who is a monster. And he sent me the winning email about an hour after I released the episode. And again, I think I've mentioned this. I do stagger the time. I have released Sprite Castle uh, on purpose every other Monday, but I have released it in the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening. I know there are people in different uh, time zones and even in different countries that listen to the show. So I've tried to vary the release times to make it fair for everybody. Um, but, uh, Tori was right on the ball and downloaded the episode right away and, uh, sent me that winning thing. So congratulations. We have dusted off the throne here for you, Tori. So if there's anything we can get you, 
uh, or more specifically, I guess I'll just have the kids run and get you snacks or whatever. So enjoy your time in the throne during this show. Uh, I also had uh, uh, winning responses relatively quickly within a few hours from a, uh, our good listener, uh, John Justice, who was the first person to send me a winning uh, suggestion through Twitter and, um, Oh, uh, midnight cinephile. Uh, if you haven't heard uh, midnight cinephile, which is a, a new, uh, movie podcast that we recently added to throwback network. Uh, and you can follow him on at midnight cinephile, uh, on Twitter. He was the, uh, first person to leave a winning suggestion through voicemail. Uh, but don't, don't uh, get too excited guys. You're not allowed to sit in the throne. So, um, yeah, we'll let you, uh, as Tori and I sit over here, you can peek in through the uh, uh, dungeon windows and uh, watch us eat uh, Funyuns and and drink big gulps because uh, that's uh, one of the one of the privileges being the king of the castle. If you would like to be the next episode's king of the castle, all you have to do is correctly identify the secret eight bit song played during the show's closing credits. The song will not be from the game discussed in the episode, but will relate to the episode's theme in some way. For example, uh, Edgar Winter's Frankenstein for Mail Order Monsters. Once you have identified the secret song, the first person to send the song title to me, either through Facebook, Twitter, email, or the show's voice mailbox, will be the next King of the Castle. And all those contacts are listed during the show's closing credits. Those are this week's headlines brought to you by my local paperboy who just crashed into a guy using a jackhammer. All right. Boy, what a headache. Now that we've covered this week's news, let's discuss this week's snack. Crack, crack, crack the egg into the bowl. Crack, crack, crack the egg into the bowl. Talking snack. You know, this game is all about wrestling, and there's really only one thing that we could uh, that we could have during this week's show. And action. Romeo, Romeo, wherefore art thou, Romeo? Again, please. Again? Again. Art thou bored? Yeah. Step into a Slim Jim. Ah! Turn to the spice. That baby juicy taste. Need a little excitement? Step into a Slim Jim. I think every kid from the 80s, 90s that was into wrestling, I think everybody can do that voice, you know? Oh, yeah, snap into a Slim Jim. <laughs> I can't do it very well. <laughs> but I think every kid that, uh, uh, I mean, I'm, I, well, my week, my uh, birthday was over the weekend. I turned 42. And uh, if I go into a convenience store today and I see a Slim Jim, I will pick it up and go, oh, yeah. You know, <laughs> so what a, what a memorable uh, marketing campaign that was. So ridiculous. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so. I picked up a couple of Slim Jims this week, and as I was working on this episode, uh, I, I opened them up and I chewed on them, and they are uh, still as wonderful as they always were. And as I ate them, I did, oh, yeah, said that a lot. So anyway, I'm going to quit saying that uh, for this episode. And speaking of this episode, let's go ahead and get started talking about Micro League Wrestling. Mm-hmm. 
Micro League Wrestling was published for the Commodore 64 in 1987 by Micro League Sports Association, which apparently was a subsidiary of Micro Pros. It is a game for one or two players that uses joystick controls. According to Moby Games, Micro League Wrestling was developed by Rydell Software Productions uh, and Software or Subway Software and published by Micro League Sports Association, a.k.a. Micro League Multimedia, which was then published by Micropros uh, on the Commodore 64 and Atari ST. Uh, this, uh, a company filed bankruptcy in 1997 and eventually returned as Ablesoft. This is one of three Micro League sports games. Uh, in uh, 1984, they released Micro League Baseball. This again is Micro League Wrestling from 1987, and they released Micro League Football in 1990. Microprose, of course, was a prolific publisher for computer games. They released 24 different titles for the Commodore 64, according to MobyGames.com. Some of those titles include F-15 Strike Eagle, Red Storm Rising, Silent Service, and one of my favorite games, Sid Meier's Pirates. The context of this game, obviously, in 1987, WWF Wrestling back then, before it was WWE Wrestling, WWF Wrestling was huge, and so was Hulkamania, and uh, wrestling games. Uh, you know, everybody wanted to get into the wrestling game business. the introduction to the game from the manual featuring Hulk Hogan and some of the greatest competitors of the WWF be the foe and try to take Hulk's title away. The moves are up to you live interviews with mean Gene Okerlund drama and action outside the ring digitized video action wrestle real WWF stars featuring Hulk Hogan for two players or one player going solo against the computer. Strap on Hulkster's championship belt and decide which moves to make. Body slam, leg drop, and all the authentic moves of each wrestler like Randy Macho Man Savage and Paul Mr. Wonderful Orndorff. Even has live interviews with Mean Gene Okerlund and ringside commentary by Vince McMahon and Jesse the Body Ventura. Uh, let's see here. Going just flipping through the manual here. Uh, there's some history. It talks a little bit about uh, the wrestlers. It talks about Hulk Hogan and Randy Macho Man Savage. It explains the moves and maneuvers, which we will uh, go into a little bit here uh, in just a few minutes. It does have an interesting thing down here at the bottom, and it says a note for retailers. The computer manager versus computer manager mode can be used as a demo mode. So this is basically instead of uh, setting it as two players or one player, you can just set it as uh, kind of a demo thing. It will go through the interviews, the ring entrances, and it will show the match, and then at the end it will start over. So this is something you could actually run to, to uh, demonstrate the game uh, in uh, your computer store. And, th and this was uh, advantageous to both the software people and the store itself, because obviously it's, it's demoing what the computer itself can do, but also it's advertising the game. So, uh, that was uh, kind of a win-win for both sides here. 
eventually, when you load this game, you will get to the title screen. Now, if you listen to uh, my other podcast, You Don't Know Flack, there's a bit that I do every week in which I uh, do – I talk about off-topic news and what's going on in my life or whatever. And, and that is uh, – the joke is that uh, the podcast is stored on the Commodore 64 and that those, those bits are delivered during uh, what I call loading time. Well, this is one of the games <laughs> – uh, where that stereotype comes from of the Commodore 64's painfully long load times. This game takes forever to load. Um, so if you are playing this uh, on emulation, you will find yourselves using, um, like I, I use WinVice and I use Alt-W, which turns on warp mode, which will speed up the loading time, uh, you know, like 10 times or whatever. But uh, or even more. But if you are playing this on a real Commodore 64, you will learn where all the jokes about the Commodore 64's slow disk access times come from. This game is really slow. Uh, eventually, you will get to the loading screen. You'll see the WWF logo. It says copyright 1987. And then there is a warning uh, disclaimer. It says, do not try and perform these moves in your home. Use your computer, which I guess it means... Like virtually, don't actually try to body slam your computer. Uh, on the uh, title screen, it comes up again. It says designed by Subway Software and Micro League Sports. We have the uh, Rydell Software Productions um, with uh, the uh, members of that. And then there's a citation that says official WWF footage by Video One. This is the company that uh, digitized the live action uh, video into the screens that we're going to see here in the game. On the menu screen, uh, you will get to choose the main event and you can choose uh, by default on the first side is uh, Hogan versus Savage. And uh, there are other wrestlers that would be on the back side of the disc. There were additional uh, wrestlers or matches that you could purchase as add-ons. I'll be talking about that. Uh, but your choices are one, Hogan versus Savage on the main disc, or two, other Micro League WWF discs. So if you had another disc, you could choose that uh, and swap a different disc in. Uh, you can uh, tell it if you're going to use the keyboard or the joystick. You can also set the time limit of the match, whether it will be a 10-minute, 20-minute, or 60-minute grudge match. Uh, this would be if you had uh, friends with as little to do as you did. <laughs> you could choose the 60-minute uh, grudge match. And then you could choose a custom arena name. Uh, so you can put anything, and I mean anything, in the name of the arena. Next, you will see uh, the update, and you will get a promo. And this is just like if you watched wrestling in the 80s uh, or wrestling today. They still do this, of course. Uh, but Hulk Hogan will come out, and he will get interviewed by Mean Gene Okerlund. Uh, and during this interview, you will see uh, it's not really an animation. It's more like a slideshow. I mean, this would be like the type of animation you could do um, maybe today with PowerPoint. Like if you put a different... Uh, picture on each PowerPoint slide and you're running it slowly, like um, maybe from a floppy disk <laughs> or something. Uh, so as you were trying to cycle through, it would load the next picture and load the next picture. It's kind of like that. So there aren't really that many pictures. I mean, there might be four or five different pictures and it kind of flips between the different pictures to uh, give the illusion of movement um, or that, you know, it, something is happening. Uh, 
Eventually, after we get through the promos, we get to the actual ring. You get the real WWF ring announcer, Howard Finkel, at the time. Uh, this is just a still picture of him with the introductions. Uh, we get to see still pictures of uh, Macho Man Randy Savage coming to the ring with Miss Elizabeth. You may remember her from the 80s. Uh, and then we get uh, Hulk Hogan himself and the two of them eventually get to the ring. And now we're going to get to the game, Micro League Wrestling. Now, if you've ever played an action style, a normal arcade style wrestling game, uh, you can imagine what that's like. You move the joystick around, you press punch and kick or whatever, you know, and do different uh, uh, moves or combos or things like that. We'll throw all those ideas out because this game does not play like that. This game is basically uh, a strategy type game without any strategy. Uh, so on one side, uh, on the left-hand side of this game, you have Hulk Hogan, and on the right-hand side, you have Randy Savage. Uh, now, you have uh, four different categories of moves to choose from. Uh, and just uh, for example, I'm just going through Hulk Hogan's here. Uh, for basic moves, you have uh, uh, the head smash, you have the stomp, you have the punch, and you have elbow. Now, according to the manual, each one of these basic moves does two damage points against your opponent. Then you have advanced moves, which is the shoulder block, the atomic drop, clothesline, and suplex. And those do four damage points if you successfully pull one of those off. Uh, and then each uh, wrestler has their own special moves. Uh, Hulk Hogan has the leg drop, for example, and it has six damage points. And then also you can block. That's your fourth choice. And if you block, it actually uh, heals you two damage points if you are successful. Now, if you've ever played a game, uh, think of like a typical football uh, video game. Uh, not not a real old one, but, uh, you know, probably from Tecmo Bowl up or whatever, where you pick an offense, your opponent picks a defense, everybody lines up, and then you run and you control the action. Part of the way that works is those games have to have some way to hide uh, what what choice you make. In other words, if the if you know that they're going to throw a hail mary, you don't want to blitz. You want to put you know some defensive guys to to you know follow the receivers or whatever. Uh, you know, same thing with uh, you know any type of baseball game. Like you you can't just show the other person what kind of pitch you're going to throw, or it wouldn't be any fun, right? Well. This game doesn't do that at all. It doesn't obscure <laughs> your choices. And you can just see what each person is going to pick. Uh, so it, it doesn't hide what you're choosing at all. You can see the things lighting up. They're, they're highlighted on the left or right-hand side. And so uh, you pick your, your move, and the person on the other side picks their move. And then the game uses some sort of algorithm, which I swear to you could just be a coin toss. Um, I mean, there may be some logic to this, but I've never figured it out. Uh, and then it just decides who was successful. So let's say you're Hulk Hogan and you say you want to punch and Randy Savage says he wants to punch. Then the game will load for a minute and it will show the one of the, the two people's faces and say success. And then it will show 
uh, a short video, but it's not really a video again. It's like three or four still pictures, one after another. Uh, and so um, you will uh, – and there's some – sometimes it will show the repeat over. Like sometimes if you do the uh, – uh, elbow or something. Uh, so there's only two pictures. There's the, his elbows up and then his elbows smashing the guy, but it will show those pictures four or five times in a row. So it's like you're throwing multiple elbows, even though it's the only same two, uh, pictures back and forth. Now down at the bottom, uh, of course you have Vincent McMahon and uh, Jesse, the body Ventura, and they will make little comments about how the match is going and things like that. Uh, in some of the other later releases and add-ons, you could get uh, Gorilla Monsoon with uh, Bobby the Brain Heenan or uh, Lord Alfred Hayes. Uh, so they, they did update this uh, you know, with later releases. But basically, that's the game. So you're just going to continue to randomly choose an offense uh, or defense, and the other person will randomly choose an offense or a defense, and the game will load, and then it'll tell you who won, you know, or who who won that round, and then it will show you an animation, uh, and then it will let you choose again until your your damage is all the way down, and you you pin the other person, uh, and hopefully, God, it happens within sixty minutes, uh, because this game. Uh, I mean, the, the, the graphics are interesting and it's an interesting style, but once you get into playing this, especially if you're playing it on real hardware, it's like watching paint dry. <laughs> it's just so slow. Uh, so on to that trivia question. This is the first licensed WWF game. So this was the first wrestling game that actually carried the WWF logo. Um, Reviews at the time. Computer and Video Game Magazine in 1988 gave this game a 3 out of 10. Commodore User, uh, slightly better with 4 out of 10. And Zap um, originally gave it a 59%, but then later when they revisited it, gave it a 38%. Did not get good reviews. Now, one of the things I do when I review these games is I go to Lemon64 and I scroll through uh, the game comments to see uh, any you know comments that other users or people that played this game. And I found a comment. <laughs> I found a comment that really uh, summed it up, and it said, uh, "This game was the Commodore 64's answer to paper, scissors, and rock. Pick a move while your opponent picks one. Then the computer decides who succeeded and who will feel the pain." And then I looked, and the comment was left by me. I actually wrote that comment and the date on it is uh, September 22nd, 2003. So I left that comment 12 years ago on Lemon64 and completely forgot about it. But when I saw that, I thought, yep, that's exactly what I think about this game. It's just like uh, rock, paper, scissors. Now, this game was uh, ported to a few different systems. It originally appeared on the uh, Commodore 64 and the Atari ST, both in 1987. Uh, the Atari ST version still had four-color graphics, just like the Commodore 64 version, but obviously it had a higher resolution. Uh, but all the pictures came from the same source videos. But but the pictures do look much better, obviously. They should on the Atari ST. Now, in 1989, uh, the game was also released for DOS and the Amiga, and they changed the interface uh, a little bit, so they updated the way the game looked. Um, on DOS, uh, the DOS version is by far the worst. It uses the PC speaker, uh, and the colors just look terrible. Uh, 
Um, the Amiga is probably, on the other hand, the best-looking version uh, and probably the best-sounding version as well. Um, so again, the 1987 release, we have Hulk Hogan versus Randy Macho Man Savage on the front. And on the back side of the disc, we have Hulk Hogan versus Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff. Um, in 1988, two different expansion discs were released, and these are known as the WWF Superstar Series. Um, on the first one, you get Randy Savage versus the Honky Tonk Man on the front. <laughs> Man, these old names just bring back so many memories. Uh, and on the B side, it's Hacksaw Jim Duggan versus King Harley Race. On the second disc, or second release, is Hulk Hogan versus uh, Ted DiBiase and Jake the Snake Roberts versus Ravishing Rick Rude. The Amiga and DOS versions, the ones that came out in 1989, have Hogan versus Savage on the front and Hogan versus Ted DiBiase on the back. Now, one thing that's interesting is the video captures on those versions came from a different match between Hogan versus Savage. So the pictures uh, are different. Uh, but there were no expansions released for the Amiga or DOS ones. WWF eventually dropped <laughs> the support of this and moved on to uh, console games and eventually arcade games. Let's get into my personal memories of this game. All right, time As you know, I grew up in Oklahoma, and a big part of my childhood here in Oklahoma was Mid-South Wrestling. I just looked through a list of Mid-South wrestlers on every one of these. The Vaughn Ericks, the Fabulous Freebirds, uh, of course you know them, Michael Hayes, Terry Gordy, Buddy Roberts, uh, the Rock and Roll Express, the Midnight Express, Iron Sheet, Kamala, Missing Link, um, oh my gosh, <laughs> the One Man Gang, Dusty Rhodes, Jake the Snake Roberts, Gentleman Jim Ross. Nikolai Volkov, yes, Dr. Death, Steve Williams, Junkyard Dog, Hacksaw Jim Dogan, and Skandar Akbar. Man, that was a, a big one. Uh, we used to, uh, Mid-South Wrestling came to Oklahoma City all the time, maybe once a month. And uh, it was a $3 admission to go down to the Cox Convention Center and go see Mid-South Wrestling. And we went all the time, especially during the summer. Uh, we would buy the nosebleed sections, but there were, especially when it wasn't crowded, we would scoot down all the way down to, um, almost ringside and watch these guys that we saw on TV, uh, every weekend, you know, see them wrestle uh, in real life. My next door neighbor had, uh, what we called the back garage. It was a separate garage uh, from their house and they had a bunch of old mattresses like box spring mattresses and, and old mattresses. And we would lay those out and that would become our wrestling ring. And we would, you know, pile drive each other on these mattresses and jump out of trees, trying to kill each other. Um, and suplexes and, and, uh, you know, just every kind of move where you would try to hurt another child. That's what we did on those mattresses. So this was huge for me. Uh, I started playing Matt Mania. That was one of the games that they had up at the convenience store near my house. And I loved Matt Mania. And so when this game came out for the Commodore, I was really excited. And then, of course, once you play it, uh, you get really disappointed because you're – I was expecting an action-type game. And this is more a strategy-type game. I mean, this is more – uh, later on, I saw these uh, 
oh, sports manager type games where you're the football coach. But I didn't want to be the football coach. I wanted to be the running back or the quarterback, you know, somebody that had some action. Uh, I don't want to manage a baseball team. I want to hit home runs. And so that's what this game was all about was uh, the strategy behind those wrestling type games. But I think uh, wrestling games in general, you know, work better with action. <laughs> Seems obvious in retrospect. And I think we learned that. Um, with Dragon's Lair, uh, we learn with Laserdisc games that games can be very good looking and not come with a lot of depth. And that's what you have here is a really good looking game, uh, with all these digitized pictures. But when you get to the actual gameplay, there's, there's just not a lot of depth. For graphics, Micro League Wrestling gets five out of five Slim Jims. The digitized pictures here are really great for the Commodore 64, and you get the feeling that you're watching an actual uh, wrestling event. For music, the game gets four out of five Slim Jims. I mean, again, you have theme music, uh, you have all these different things. The, the music is uh, just great. Sound effects, it gets three out of five Slim Jims. The sound effects are there, and they're okay, but they're not uh, anything really great. Overall gameplay, I give this two out of five Slim Jims. Uh, I do suggest that you try it if you are into wrestling or if you just want to kind of see the dark underbelly of the Commodore 64 if you want to see some of the problems exposed. Uh, It's a good idea, uh, and um, I think we just saw the limitations pushing the machine a little bit too far. Um, the, uh, the, The graphics and stuff are really good, but you do pay for it in loading times. Thanks again for tuning in to Spry Castle. The next game I will be covering is 1984's Montezuma's Revenge by Parker Brothers. If you'd like to play Montezuma's Revenge before the next show is released, head on over to SpryCastle.com and click the downloads link at the top of the page where you can download Commodore 64 emulators and all the games that have been reviewed on the show. If you'd like to send me feedback about this or any episode of Spry Castle, you can email me at robohara at robohara.com, contact me on Twitter at Commodore, Follow the show on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash SpriteCastle or leave a voicemail on the Flat Podcast Hotline at 405-486-YDKF. SpriteCastle is available from iTunes, Stitcher Radio, the SpriteCastle.com RSS feed, and through throwbacknetwork.net, your home for quality retro podcasts. To hear more podcasts from me, check out You Don't Know Flat, Throwback Reviews, and Multiple Sadness. You can find links to all these shows at robohara.com forward slash podcasts. Many of the news articles and game details for Sprite Castle come from websites such as Commodore is Awesome, the Commodore Scene Database, Lemon64, and Moby Games. For links to these and more websites, check out the list of links on the right-hand side of SpriteCastle.com. Thanks again for listening. Now get back to pile-driving those pixels, and we'll see you here next time on Sprite Castle. <laughs>